The following program does not necessarily represent the views and opinions of Reality Radio 101, its advertisers and sponsors, or its listening audience. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to the Urban Forestry Radio Show, here on Reality Radio 101. In this radio show and podcast, we learn about fruit trees, permaculture, arboriculture, and so much more. So if you love trees, and especially fruit trees, or if you're interested in living a more sustainable life, then this is the place for you. I'm your host, Susan Poisner of the Fruit Tree Care Training website, OrchardPeople.com. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Urban Forestry Radio Show with your host, Susan Poisner. To contact Susan live right now, send her an email in studio101 at gmail.com. Now, right to your host of the Urban Forestry Radio Show, Susan Poisner. I planted my first fruit trees in my local park over a decade ago, and there is so much to love. I love spending time in the orchard with my colleagues caring for our trees and our pollinator gardens. I love harvest time, where we gather to harvest and share the fruit. And I love seeing how our trees and plants have brought so much life to the park, including beneficial insects and other wildlife. But I'm always wondering, can I make this space even more beautiful and productive? Well, a next step could be turning part of our community orchard into a mini food forest where fruit trees are planted side by side with shrubs and ground covers that create an ecosystem where everything is able to thrive. So that's what we're going to talk about on the show today. And I have a really fun guest. Her name is Danny Baker, and she's the author of an excellent new book called The Homescale Forest Garden, How to Plan, Plant and Tend a Resilient Edible Landscape. Now, Danny is going to share her top three steps to turning your backyard into a food forest. And these steps will work even if you already have fruit trees and if you're not starting your food forest from scratch. I'm going to chat with Danny in just a minute, but first, I want to hear from you. If you email in a question, a comment, or if you just write us a note to say hi during the live show today, we're going to enter you into today's contest to win a copy of our prize. And today's prize, of course, is Danny's book. The Home Scale Forest Garden, How to Plan, Plant, and Tend Resilient Edible Landscape. And it's valued at $34.95. So send your email to instudio101 at gmail.com. That's instudio101 at gmail.com. And do remember to include your first name and where you're writing from. I really look forward to hearing from you. So now, Danny, welcome to the show today. Thank you for having me. I'm so glad you're here. And 
let's start off with the first question. And that is, what are food forests and how are they different than regular orchards? Well, a food forest or a forest garden is, is modeled after a forest edge where not only do you have your understory trees, which are like fruit trees, but you have overstory trees that may grow to 50, 100 feet. You have shrubs, herbaceous plants, ground covers, roots, and even vines twirling up where the light is good. So it sounds like it's a really busy environment. And one of the things that I understand about fruit trees is they like full sun. They like a lot of sun. So if you've got so much planted around them, will they get what they need? Well, most of the plants will be under them, which will be partially shaded by the fruit trees. But you can plant overstory trees that have open canopies or as Martin Crawford from England does, you can trim them up to about 30 feet. And then there's 10 feet of ambient light above your fruit trees. Interesting. So I have this picture of this multi-layered, beautiful forest. Um, and I'm just wondering, it's, I'm sure that there are a lot of benefits, which we'll talk about in a minute, but is there any downsides? Are there challenges or disadvantages if, it's, if you don't plan it correctly? Wow, that's a loaded question. Uh, planning is essential. Um, studying your land carefully over four seasons if possible. So you understand um, where the wet spots are, where the frost pockets are, where the land is, is drained well, where it may not be, where the wind comes from. Um, so many consider if there's any standing water or any above ground water running at certain times of year, all of these considerations will not only tell you what you're dealing with on your land, but also suggest plants that would do well um, in different habitats that you may have. Um, so challenges, um, it's, it's challenging to decide how to arrange plants together so they'll play nice. And I approach it as an experiment. Um, I don't assume I know in advance. I make my best guess. I put the plants in and then I observe what happens. And if some of them are happy, that's great. If others are not, or if some overtake others, then I'm learning from that. And I know in the future how to adjust my arrangements. Okay, I really appreciate that because it takes the fear away of getting it perfect. Right, right. You know, and it's like, so you have to move something or whatever. The idea is you want a long-term landscape that's going to be sustainable, that's going to play together nicely. I, I really appreciate that. Now, so on the one hand, there's a, a bunch of sort of potential pitfalls, but what are the advantages? Ultimately, what do we get out of using the space in that way? Well, first of all, you get an incredible amount of abundance in terms of food, food production, because not only do you just have fruit trees, but you have shrubs that have berries, perhaps herbs that have uh, culinary and medicinal value. Uh, perennial vegetables could be in the understory, in the uh, herbaceous layer as well. Um, and then you build in through other plants, all the, the benefits that your plants require to be healthy. So for example, you build in nitrogen fixing plants, plants that accumulate other nutrients for the surrounding plants, plants that attract beneficial insects, plants that deter pests. So you arrange all of these together to be sustainable without with very little human input 
over time. That sounds great. So, okay, here we have a garden, let's say whether it's my garden or somebody else's, Mm -hmm. you've already got, let's say a fruit tree or two, you've Mm -hmm. got some shrubs and you think, well, I should probably keep those. You want to turn it into a food forest. What would you say is the first step um, to do so? Well, I think preparing the soil, um, probably sheet mulching. If you have um, sod surrounding everything, you'd probably want to eliminate that so you can make room to put in other plants that are more desirable. Um, so I would I would sheet mulch with cardboard, brown cardboard, and then covering it with some kind of organic matter, whatever you have in hand. And I, you have to top it with a couple of inches of something that doesn't have any seeds in it because you don't want to create a, a bed of weeds. So I usually use dry leaves um, fallen from trees, and then I top it with wood chips. Aha. Uh-huh. Well, that's interesting. The leaves. Oh, so it's three layers on top. Okay. Mm-hmm. So here we have our garden yep. and we have the grass and we're like, we don't want this grass anymore. We're going to put something else there. So we're going to sheet mulch, which means we're putting down layers of cardboard, like one layer of cardboard, let's say. Well, it depends what you're covering. If you have a lot of perennial weeds, you might want to put at least a couple of layers. And it's really, imp- I use appliance cardboard because it's really big and there are, the edges are far apart. The less edge you have, the less opportunity for weeds to come up through. And it's important to overlap it at least eight inches across over all the edges. So you're deterring the weeds coming up and then piling the other stuff on top. I like to do my sheet mulching um, in the fall of the year because, well, actually I take that back. I I would sheet mulch any time of year. Um, And what happens is gradually as rains moisten the leaves and the wood chips and the cardboard, it gradually decays, but slow enough so that it cuts the light from the weeds and sod below and basically kills off all of that undergrowth. Okay, great. Okay, we got our first question for today. It's from Karen from Ashland, Kentucky. Hello, Susan and crew. A question for your guest. Not really on topic, but I am curious. The name Danny, your name is with an I, right? Is it short for Danielle? Just curious. It's a beautiful name. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you. No, it's short for Danita, D-A-N-I-D-A. My mother named me after two, her, both her parents, Dan and Ida. Danita. Mm-hmm. Danny. Very good question. I, w- I would have just assumed Danielle. That's great. Okay, let's see. We have another question here from Natalie. Let's have a look. Okay, Natalie writes, good afternoon. I love your show. Thank you for all the wonderful guests you continue to have on covering such an interesting array of topics. Yay, thank you. I have a question for your guest. I am starting my own small food forest on my rural property. So far, I've planted pawpaw, hazelnut, elderberry, and rosebud. I would like to further include catalpa, blueberry, raspberry, and black walnut. Do you have any recommendations for when, at what stage, I should plant the next grouping? Or do you have other recommendations for species? I'm near Port Perry, Ontario in zone 5B. And I would also love to be entered into today's contest, please. So that's from Natalie. Okay, I would be cautioned. I would um, be careful about your black walnut. Black walnut roots and leaves and everything produce a chemical called juglone that deters the growth of other plants, some other plants, not all. Elderberries would be okay, apples would not. 
Um, so if you do your research and if you only have plants that can tolerate the jug loan, you're fine. But otherwise, you'll need to make sure those black walnuts are far enough away from the plants that are susceptible. So that's mm -hmm. that's my one suggestion. That's a great um, suggestion. Also, I don't hear anything about understory or you know shrub layer or ground cover. So there's a lot of plants that you could include under the trees that you've described that would also be fruitful. Right. So she's entering our contest. If she wins, she's probably going to get all the answers in your yes, book. Yes, she will. <laughs> <In the book. laughs> and we're going to cover some of those soon. So thank you very much for that question. That's great. Okay. So we went our first step was prepare the ground. We're going to put one or two layers of cardboard. We're going to put how many inches of, let's say, compost or something? Uh, you know, six, six to 10. Wow. Because so it'll sink down. You know, it'll sink will, down. Yeah, it'll sink down. And then you put leaves on top and then you put wood chips on top of that. Well, I was Whereas including the leaves in this. That's including the leaves and yeah. the wood chips. Okay. But I, so I my question. Wood chips. I'm sorry. My, my question is logically inside my head. You've got your trees there in the ground. You're building up this layer. Your trees are going to be in a little bit of a ditch with this, this layer of six inches. No, no, because it all, it all, first of all, it all will sink down with gravity. Plus the soil life will take it up and into the soil. So eventually we lost your mic there. I think. Oh, I'm oh, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the so, soil life will take, take, uh, will, bring all this stuff down into the soil, like earthworms and so on, eventually. So I don't find that it raises the soil level significantly once it's all composted and decayed and in integrated into the soil. And would you have any concerns about all these layers suffocating the tree roots underneath? Well, you know, cardboard is porous to air and water, as are all the layers. So I don't, I wouldn't have that concern. No. You're not too concerned. Okay, no. great. So that's our first step. Now, what would be our second step? Give me a hint. Well, let's see. Do we want to have, for instance, some uh, plants that might feed our trees somehow? Okay. Support so, them in yes. some way? You, you know, you, well, you might, you might want to include some edibles there too that may or may not support your fruit trees but definitely you're going to want to you're going to want to install some nitrogen fixing plants some plants that pull up other nutrients from the subsoil that will feed your fruit trees so definitely okay so now all right so we've got our our existing trees we've got our layered that's covered mm -hmm. and now we're starting to think of what tree what shrubs do we want and what plants do we want right. under our trees right. so can we just choose anything or are there certain plants that you would say are great and let's focus on nitrogen fixing mm -hmm. okay. great plants that will support mm -hmm. our fruit trees well first of all one thing i do is some of my nitrogen fixes are actually in the overstory Mm -hmm. So I would plant, for example, a honey locust or a black locust, and they will actually grow to be far above your fruit trees, but provide lots of nitrogen. You can take care of all your nitrogen needs with a few large canopied overstory trees. But if we're not going to do that, maybe there's not space for that in your, in your lot. Let's talk about shrubs. So um, one shrub that I really like that's also fruit bearing is um, the gumi, and it is hardy to zone five. It'll grow maybe six by six, but you can keep it pruned if that's too large, 
all the nitrogen fixers can take pretty heavy pruning and it doesn't hurt them at all. In fact, it encourages them to release nitrogen to the other plants because when you prune a plant, it also prunes its roots and those roots are high in nitrogen. And as they decay underground, they provide that to the other plants around. So Gumi has um, edible berries and it fixes nitrogen and it's a fairly good small sized shrub. Um, if you need something smaller, New Jersey tea is the smallest woody shrub I know of. And it used to be, it was used for tea in the revolutionary times in the US, um, the leaves were, but it, it fixes nitrogen. It has lovely white flowers that attract some beneficial insects. And it's very petite. <laughs> so it won't take up too much space. That's um, fantastic. There are other, there mm -hmm. are other nitrogen fixers. Um, that could be in the ground cover layer or the herbaceous, like uh, blue lupin, which does need quite a bit of light. But I'm sure on the outskirts of your, your trees, there's quite a bit of light. So lupin would be a good choice. And it has um, pretty cut flowers. Nothing's edible about it, but it fixes nitrogen. The flowers can be cut and, and used in bouquets. Plus, um, they attract, of course, pollinators. And I found that the tip of the lupin plant is actually a trap crop for aphids. Oh, so I've that's an the, extra function that it's offering. Yes, so that will keep the aphids away from your other plants where you don't want them. Um, also clovers, any kind of clover is going to fix nitrogen and Dutch white clover can take some shade and it's really good for pathways. So I'm sure there, you need to walk around your fruit trees somehow. So if you maybe put a little path of, of um, Dutch white clover, which only grows to six inches and it can take the foot traffic, fixes nitrogen, I think I, um, the flowers are actually edible. <laughs> so you wouldn't um, have to mow it, this clover? You would really not because it, it's so low growing. And you said it's Dutch clover. Dutch white clover. Yep. Dutch cold. white clover. So these are all great options uh, for the lower story. So now we've got a few emails. One is from Eric in Toronto. And Eric wants to enter the contest today. So thank you so much, Eric. Let's see who we've got next. Owen writes, hello, love the topic. What is your ideal guild to support a fruit tree? That's Owen from Grand Bend. So what is your ideal the guild? Mm -hmm. a, a guild is just a combination of mutually supportive plants. Um, I think it's up to the gardener what you want to grow. I don't think there's an ideal guild. Um, you need to experiment on your own property to see what does well there and what does well together. I would choose the plants that I'm interested in growing and, you know, make sure that they, they're appropriate for the habitat that I have. If I have a south facing slope that drains well and dries out in the summer, or if I have a low area that's moist most of the time, I you know, with some shade, I would consider the habitat in choosing my plants and just um, arrange them so they're at proper distance from each other and see what happens. Yeah, and I kind of like that attitude because again, everybody's fruit trees are different cultivars with different root stocks. And it's like children in kindergarten saying, well, all children like tuna fish sandwiches. Mm -hmm. And it's like, no, they don't all like tuna fish sandwiches. It's a very personal thing. <laughs> so my russet apple may not enjoy being beside the tea plant, but it may really like being near a gumi. So, and again, in the beginning of the show, you gave us the gift of taking the fear away of trying and being right. okay if it's not a successful experiment. Right. Yeah. But so you're going to learn stuff that's useful in the future. So to me, that's, that's 
priceless. I guess it's like a good relationship where you can communicate the trees saying, "Uh uh-uh, this isn't for me. And you're like, okay, you know what? I'll try something else. We develop the intimacy of our relationship. I know what you like over the years. I know what you don't like. Um, So yeah. Okay. We've got another email. This one's from Monique from Niagara Falls, Ontario. Thanks for the topic. Monique says, if using cardboard for a bit of mulch and Monique has access to a lot of it, Mm-hmm. What about the glue between layers of cardboard? Is that bad? It's mm. all going to degrade. It's not like plastic. That's not going to degrade. Um, okay. I, I mean, I cardboard is approved. I'm our, our whole farm in my edible forest is uh, certified organic, and our certifier ex, it wasn't true at first, but recent, within the last few years, they've approved brown cardboard as mulch. So I'm assuming that they've investigated that and have decided it's not harmful. That's good. Great. That's very, like, it feels good to me. Sometimes there's stickers and stuff on cardboard. Mm-hmm. I guess you peel that stuff in the I tape. I take anything that off. Not, that's not biodegradable off, like the tape. I always yeah. remove all the tape. I don't like to use cardboard that has staples in it or anything like that because they're hazardous. You could hurt yourself oh yeah yeah that's a good point too yeah oh staples i've left and those certainly in the past. no foam attached nothing like that right okay another question this one's from sue from detroit michigan hello to susan and danny with an eye love the concept of the name so beautiful that's really nice now please enter me into the book contest if i do not win where can i purchase danny's book the book's available from all the online merchants starting with Amazon, Wordery, um, whatever, you know, your local bookstore may be able to order, I'm sure could order it if you have a small bookstore locally or may even have it in stock already. Yeah, so definitely worth seeking out. I have seen a virtual copy and I was very impressed. And I can't wait to get my hands on a physical copy. That'll be great. Okay, so here we've got some plants that will help to we hope feed our fruit trees. These are nitrogen fixing plants that we can experiment with and try. Um, Are there other considerations or other types of plants that we might consider? Um, When we were talking offline, you talked about dynamic accumulators, which sounds very important, but a little bit fancy. Well, I actually call them nutrient accumulators, which is a little more communicative. Um, Mm -hmm. So these are plants with mostly deep tap roots that pull up nutrients from the subsoil. Now, many, many fruit trees have very shallow roots, so their roots can't reach these nutrients. So when you interplant nutrient accumulators that pull the nutrients up, and then as, oh, I'm sorry, as the, as the, um, as the, the plants die down in the fall, their leaves decay, and all those nutrients become available to the surrounding plants. So there's a number of them. Um, dandelions are a great example dandelions accumulate actually seven nutrients in their leaves, including phosphorus, potassium, and calcium, which after nitrogen, after water, and then after nitrogen, are the three most important plant uh, nutrients for a plant, and then so, other micronutrients as well. So you're encouraging us to leave all those dandelions, to let the sort of little dandelion seeds blow around our gardens and orchards, right? Well, I'm coming to accept them. Um, In my second edition, I'm going to write how wonderful they are. I wasn't quite ready when I wrote the book that's out now. (laughs) 
because I, you know, I grew up, they're weed, right? You want to get rid of them. But no, they're actually very beneficial. And I, I actually saw something, observed something in my garden, my vegetable garden recently that proves the point. Um, I started, I, I um, had to revamp an entire part of my garden. And um, it all, well, because it all grew up in weeds. And one part of it was full of dandelions. And another part of it had absolutely no dandelions. And I thought, why could that be? And the reason is dandelions only move in when there's a need when there's a need to break up the pan and to pull up nutrients. And in the section where there were none, those needs had already been filled. So they didn't go there. So I believe that after a certain period of time, the dandelions are going to give way to other plants in your garden. Interesting. Okay, so they come along when we need them. I know our park is filled with dandelions. Yep. And luckily, the city doesn't come along and take them. So we just have dandelions. And hopefully they are sucking up nutrients from the soil, they're dying. And who knows, let's hope they're making our soil better. I haven't seen much evidence of it yet. And these dandelions have been there for years. But but we don't have we have the park has a huge stretch of of grass and mm -hmm. then trees around the edges. So maybe once you have other roots um, right. from your understory plants, loosening the soil and getting in there and enjoying the nutrients that those dandelions release, maybe that all works together to make it better. Um, okay, well, we have more to talk about, but let's just take a couple of minutes and listen, let's listen to a few words from our sponsors. Um, and then after that, I want to go through uh, the third point, your third tip as to how we can transform our existing gardens into a food forest. Are you okay hanging on the line for a couple of minutes, Danny? Absolutely. Okay, great. So you are listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show and Podcast brought to you by the Fruit Tree Care Training website, orchardpeople.com. This is Reality Radio 101, and I'm Susan Poisner, author of the Fruit Tree Care book, Growing Urban Orchards, and my second book, Grow Fruit Trees Fast, We'll be back right after the break. If you're listening to this show, you are passionate about fruit trees. But do you care how your trees are grown? Silver Creek Nursery is a family-owned business, and we grow our fruit trees sustainably using only organic inputs. We stock a huge range of cultivars, like Wolf River, an apple tree that produces fruit so large you can make an entire pie with just one apple. We also carry red-fleshed apples, like Pink Pearl, as well as heirloom and disease-resistant varieties of apples, pears, apricots, cherries, and more. We ship our trees across Canada, and we can also supply you with berry canes and edible companion plants to plant near your trees. At Silver Creek Nursery, we grow fruit trees for a sustainable food future. Learn more about us at silvercreeknursery.ca. If you're thinking of planting fruit trees and you're looking for a wide selection of cultivars, consider Wiffle Tree Nursery. 
Our 62-page full-color catalog includes over 300 varieties of fruit and nut trees, berries, grapes, and other edible perennial plants. Not only that, in our catalog we help you through the selection process with tips and advice about all aspects of growing fruit trees. You can learn about adding nitrogen-fixing plants, rootstock choices, and even about planting a windbreak if you have a windy site. We're a one-stop shop as we sell fruit tree care books, pruning tools, organic sprays, and natural fertilizers. We're located in Alora, Ontario, but we can ship all over Canada. Call us at 519-669-1349 to order your catalogue. That's 519-669-1349. Whiffletree Nursery. Call us today. Did you know that Susan Poisoner of OrchardPeople.com teaches fruit tree care courses online? Here's a testimonial from Roger, a student from Howe Island, Ontario. Some years ago I retired and I wanted to have some fruit trees, so I did the usual. I went to the big box stores and, and bought what they had and I planted them and I had some successes but more failures. In fact, I was almost ready to give up when I discovered Susan's online course. It taught me a lot of what I thought I knew but didn't know. It's in uh, bite-sized pieces that you can easily understand and you can review the course whenever you want. Last year I had such success that this year I had to do very little in terms of pest management either with insects or with disease. If you want to grow organic fruit trees, join Susan for a workshop at orchardpeople.com workshops. For 10% off tuition, use the discount code PODCAST. Welcome back to the Urban Forestry Radio Show with your host, Susan Poisner, right here on Reality Radio 101. To get on board right now, send us an email. Our email address is instudio101 at gmail.com. And now, right back to your host of the Urban Forestry Radio Show, Susan Poisner. You're listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show and podcast brought to you by the Fruit Tree Care Training website, orchardpeople.com. This is Reality Radio 101, and I'm your host, Susan Poisner. In the show today, we've been talking about turning your backyard into a food forest. And my guest on the show today is Danny Baker, co-owner of Cross Island Farms in Wellesley Island, New York, and the creator of the Enchanted Edible Forest. And Danny is also the author of a fantastic new book. It's called The Home Scale Forest Garden, How to Plan, Plant, and Tend a Resilient Edible Landscape. And it's valued at $34.95. Now you can win a copy of this book just by participating in today's contest. If you're listening to the show live, just send us an email during the show with your question or your comment 
or just to say hi, and we'll enter you into the contest. Send your email to instudio101 at gmail.com. That's instudio101 at gmail.com. And remember to include your first name and where you are writing from. So back to Danny. Welcome back. Thank you. <laughs> okay. So in the first part, we talked about a couple of steps to turning an existing backyard into a food forest. We talked about taking care of the ground cover, sheet mulching. We talked about adding a layer of other plants. Um, I've got some questions that he in now before we do point number three um, from some listeners who uh, submitted questions on Facebook. One is, oh, maybe this was an email question from John from Aurora, Ontario. John writes, I'm planting a food forest in the Aurora Arboretum. The site is flat, sunny, and it's an open field with some pioneer trees, mostly buckthorn, small shrubs and grass. This fall, I hope to plant 24 trees, eight different species in groupings of three. In the next few weeks, I'm going to mow the grass and remove other vegetation where I will be planting the trees. I will add compost to improve the clay soil. Now, here's John's question. What I would like help with is picking appropriate native vegetation for cover crops until I can get around to planting more suitable understory edibles. There doesn't seem to be much information available. Can you provide a reliable source of information or suggest suitable species? Thank you so much. Yes, John. So um, the first thing I think you really need to do is sheet mulch over your sod. And once you have that cardboard and other organic matter laid down, you could probably sprinkle some native seeds. Now, I'm not sure why you want to do just natives, but if that's what you you uh, would like, um, I would recommend some of the native indigos. They're herbaceous plants. They fix nitrogen, and several of them have very deep tap roots, which you're going to need to break up your clay because you have. You, I believe you said you have heavy clay, so that's what I would recommend. Um, if you would consider a non-native. I would recommend um, uh, yellow sweet clover. It's a legume that fixes nitrogen. It grows to be maybe three feet or more tall, and its taproot is equally long, going way down and breaking up the pan. It is a biannual, so it will flower in the second year. And if you want, uh, if by the second year you're ready to uh, remove it and plant something else. You could mow it down before it goes to seed and you won't have to worry about it self-seeding. That Those are great suggestions. Now, would he have to till in this cover crop? I found that if you, if you sheet mulch and it starts to decay, you can often just sprinkle, um, sprinkle the, the seeds on top and when they have sufficient moisture, they'll germinate. And the, hmm. the roots will go right through. By now, the cardboard is going to be moist. The roots will go right down through the cardboard. Right. Okay. Sounds pretty easy. And we're minimizing tilling because right. we're doing the sheet mulching. Um, right. So that sounds great. And I mean, an alternative mm -hmm. would be to till and then plant the cover crop. Um, hmm. You know, but that would be quicker. But then you'd be destroying some of the, the uh, soil life and also burning up some organic matter which you really don't want to do. 
<laughs> right. Well, I think it's a win-win if we do the cardboard mulching then. Right. Yeah, John, thank you so much for submitting that question in advance. That was interesting. I've got a great question here from Andrew from Ottawa, Ontario. Andrew writes, I would like to see some discussion regarding labor. Once established, there is a fair amount of upkeep, particularly in the understory, to keep renewing and avoiding certain species from overcrowding out others. I love that question because even our pollinator garden, you have to keep an eye on it. You know, the bee bomb moves over here and something else moves over there. How much maintenance do food forests need? You know, that's a really excellent question. I think it's a misunderstanding that people have that once you plant it, you can just sit back and relax and just harvest. You, you, have, to, you have to maintain it. You have to manage it if you want it to continue to be productive. Um, but that being said, if you compare it with an annual vegetable garden of the same size, there's a lot less labor. Okay. Uh Uh-huh. Now that leads into another comment slash question that we've got. This is from Michelle. I don't have a location from Michelle. Mm -hmm. Michelle writes, I'm glad this topic is being covered. Permaculture principles are so important for us to adapt, quote unquote, to climate change. I moved my entire farm into a food forest about 10 years ago, and it really reduces stress as a farmer because you have a diversity of crops to rely on for food. If the weather takes out your cherries one year, you don't sweat it as you have another 15 varieties of fruit trees. I'm really hoping that more people go to this, go this route. Plus I grow plants that I use for my holistic sprays to reduce fungal infections promote growth and enhance overall nutrition on our farm. It's a very sustainable system. That's from Michelle. We don't know her location. So what do you, what's your comment on that? She's so right. I have the same experience with my, uh, my edible forest. If, you know, we had a very um, damaging winter last year, the temperature went down to below minus 25 different times. And that wasn't really the problem. The problem was in between, it was at 32 or above, which means it was above freezing. So the poor trees and bushes, what were they to do? Is it spring? Is it time to open my buds? No, now I'm hit with another super freeze. So um, I lost a lot of flowers on my fruit trees, but my berry bushes are just thriving. And I, I've been harvesting raspberries, honeyberries. My red currants are ripe now. The blacks are starting to get ripe. So she's so right with the diversity in a forest like this. Um, you just, if one crop fails, you have a bounty of another. And it's, and it's just an abundance. <laughs> amazing, amazing. Sounds fantastic. Uh, okay, here's another, we've got another comment. This one's from Bob, listening from Camden, Ohio. Hi, Susan, right on today. Such a very interesting topic. Thanks for the information. Very useful. Okay. Now I had one more comment I really wanted to share. This is Paul from Ann Arbor, uh, Michigan. Paul says, we got really motivated when COVID hit. I wasn't working and the kids were home from school. We spent the whole summer building our food forest. We are having a great time with it. So it's a project. In, the, in, in Paul's case, it's a family project. 
So kind of exciting and motivating to, to take things the next step. Mm -hmm. So we were talking about three preliminary uh, tips for turning your existing backyard or garden or orchard into a food forest. Let's go for tip number three, the third step for uh, creating, turning your backyard into a food forest. And that has to do with integrating herbs that attract beneficial insects and pollinators. Talk to me about that. Well, the herbs, um, all of the herbs flower. Um, I would think specifically the ones that I would favor are things like oregano, lavender, um, even um, uh, okay. lemon balm. Lemon balm is very attractive to pollinators. Um, and not only do they flower and attract pollinators, but their flowers are very tiny and they attract some beneficial insects, specifically the parasitic wasps that, that prey on bugs that you don't want in your garden. Plus, um, they exude an odor that can be confusing to pests. So lavender, for example, if you come across lavender, you can smell it you know, several feet away. So can the pest, but if they're looking for an apple tree and they encounter this lavender smell, they've lost the scent of the apple, right? The other thing is um, a lot of these herbs have um, oils that sublimate. They, they um, evaporate into the air and they, many of them have antifungal qualities. So they can actually provide protection against fungal disease for some of your fruit trees and berry bushes if you have them in the on the ground cover layer. Is that why you often see in food forests a lot of uh, onion family um, plants yep. like uh, chives and stuff? Because again, it's the odor, I suppose. That's right. Yep. They'll do the same thing. Yep. And in, for instance, in your food, magical food forest, in your enchanted forest, yeah. do you sell the herbs as well? Oh, or yes, of course. Them? Yeah, I sell them. Uh, I have people who come and pick them themselves. And also I sell them to local chefs and and just regular customers, I, I harvest them myself. And the onions and the chives, of course, the whole onion family, yep. And one more about that, with oregano, is mm -hmm. it not invasive? Um, I know that because a relative of mine planted some oregano for a little kitchen garden mm -hmm. um, in Ontario and um, came back and then all in the wild area around her, her little kitchen garden, oregano everywhere. Mm -hmm. So that might be something people want, might want to look up. I'm not mm -hmm. sure. Right. Well, it yeah. will self-seed, you know, it will self-seed. It's self-seeded in my garden. Right. So if it's near a wild area, I imagine it might self-seed there too. It might self-seed. So people should look that one up mm -hmm. before they integrate mm -hmm. it. Okay. We've got another great email. I love these listeners. I love my listeners. They're just that they've got the best questions. Okay. Get this. This is a good one. This is from Gail. Uh, now, I don't know where Gail is located. Susan, oh my gosh, I just realized that Danny is also a clinical psychologist. What a transition. How did that happen? Love it. Well, I was near retirement age and I freaked out about what I was going to do with my idle time. So we bought this 100 acre property. We became farmers. Then I didn't have any idle time. <laughs> But, you know, it, it's, this is an interesting question because to me, the skills that you use as a psychologist and the skills that you use growing plants are not that different. You need to have a lot of empathy for your plants so you can intuit if they're happy or if they're not happy. 
And if they're not happy, you need to figure out what's making them unhappy and help them become happy again. So it's not that different from being a psychologist, is it? You know, it's like people who talk about, well, I don't have a green thumb. And I always thought that I was one of those people. And yet I'm a very empathetic person with humans. Mm -hmm. I just never turned it on with plants. I never assumed that I was able to understand what they were telling me Mm -hmm. until I started to study fruit tree care. And I realized that everything I do with the trees is a two-way communication. They tell me how they're feeling. They show me how they're feeling. Or if there's a lot of pest and disease problems, it's they're trying to tell me something. Mm -hmm. So, um, yes. So it's not as much of a leap as Gail would think. That's right. Yeah. So and how do you feel about about changing your life in this way where you were once, you know, in an office and now you're outdoors all the time? (sighs) Well, it's just so much so refreshing. I mean, it's so much better for my psyche, for my body, for my spirit. It just, uh, I, 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 I fantasized about wanting to be a farmer when I was in college, but I couldn't talk about it because I was first generation in college in my family. So I couldn't say to my parents, I want to be a manual laborer. What would you they know? say to you if you had? I, I, I couldn't even broach the subject. No. Wow. Nope. But I think they're proud of me now. I mean, they're dead, but I think they'd be proud of me now. Because <laughs> I wrote a book. <laughs> yes. Oh, that's good. That makes the parents feel good for that's sure. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, okay, we talked about a few simple steps. Now, what I like about it is it takes the fear away. Mm-hmm. But this is a big subject, food for us. Is there any other advice uh, that that you need, you would like to share with people? Yeah, I mean, start small, you know, plan a project that you know you can manage and build from there. You know, don't don't get super. I mean, I was super ambitious, but then again, I had my reasons. But, um, you know, I wouldn't be super ambitious. I would just experiment with a small pot, like, you know, maybe one one side of the foundation of your house or one tree surrounded by things that you would like to grow in your yard, or even an edible hedge, you know, that would feed you and the birds. And, and when you see that you can be successful, then maybe you'll come up with another project. Exactly. Yeah. One thing that concerns me sometimes, because my angle is so much on the fruit trees, and Mm -hmm. they're my passion. Mm -hmm. I find that in some food forests, people will do things like they'll plant strawberries right around in the understory of the tree or near them. And I'm like, when I prune that tree, and when I care for that tree and inspect it and scout it, I'm going to be stepping all over strawberries. Mm -hmm. I don't want to do that. Um, What are the other common you know, issues that people can encounter in terms of the competition between plants. Hmm. Well, I mean, yeah, you're going to have, I mean, I've certainly had experiences where one plant took over an area, which was not my intention, but that taught me that this was a very aggressive plant. And if, and I need to if I want to grow it, I have to put it in a spot where it's not going to impose on other plants. Um, so that's one example. You know, then of course, as your garden develops, you're going to have more shade. So certain plants that like strawberries that may have done very well when your your 
trees were small, um, once they get larger and they're shading more, those strawberries are not going to like it. They're going to try to move to the light and or, or disappear if they have nowhere to go. Um, I, you know, I don't worry too much about, I mean, I think your point, your first point is it's really important to plan in access to your garden. When you, when you think about the chores that you may have to complete and the times of year you'll need to do them, make sure that you have at least footpaths, if, if not wider paths for a garden, like a wheelbarrow or a garden cart to get close to where you're going to need them. And that should be those access routes should be planned in at least the wider ones from the beginning. The foot routes, the, the, the uh, footpaths can kind of create themselves when you see how, where you like to walk. And then don't worry if you're stepping on some plants because you're gonna have to get there anyway. And if you keep walking in the same place, the other plants around will be fine. And also what about um, areas where you have high areas or low areas or damp areas? What are your consideration when you look at the landscape itself? Yeah. Well, matching plants with their ideal habitats. I mean, there are a number of plants that thrive in very moist soil. There are others that would die there, but they will like the high, dry, well-drained soil. So if you study your plants, which I had to do, I didn't know about most of these plants when I started, um, and you determine what their ideal habitat is, and then you match them with it, you'll be much more successful than if you try to force a plant that likes the wet into a dry spot. That's going to increase your labor. You're going to have to water that plant two or three times a week. Whereas if you put it in a wet spot, nature will take care of it, vice versa. If you take a plant that likes it dry and put it in a wet spot, it's going to die. Hmm. Wow. Okay. Well, I think it's time for us to find it. We had quite a few people emailing today and I personally would like to know who's going to win the prize. Uh, I think we have Gary on the line. Do we not? We do. So, Danny, so Gary, yeah. <laughs> Danny, what I'm going to do is I have all the names on little pieces of paper folded in a little like plastic uh, jug thing here. Uh-huh. And I'm going to shake it. You'll be able to hear that on the air. And you tell me when to stop. And when you do, I'll pull out one of those pieces of paper. OK, okay. here uh-huh. we go. All right. Stop. Stop. OK, hang on, please. Let's see what we got. And Owen V from Grand Bend, Ontario is the winner. That's yes. Owen V. Congratulations. There you Congratulations. go. Congratulations. That's wonderful. So, Owen, we are going to send you an email. We're going to get your address. We're going to arrange for you to get a beautiful copy of this book. So that's great. Congratulations. I'm sorry to the other folks who did not win today's prize. But Danny, can you tell us again, um, what, you know, where people get this book and right. what your goal is in writing it? How are you going to help us to make it easy for us to create these gardens? Right. Well, my goal was to inspire more people to try their hand at this. And I hope that you will just jump in and do it, you know, do your research, but then just make a plan and, and, and implement it and, and observe and enjoy learning from nature. So that's my recommendation. And um, if you go to my website, www.enchantededibleforest.com, on the second page, there's a list, I think, of about uh, seven different places where you can order this book online. 
Oh, fantastic. And yep. also I noticed on your website, do you do tours? Is there a, an do. opportunity? Tell yep, me about yep. that. What do and, you, you know, we're just south of the border here, folks. We're, we're in the St. Lawrence river. You can reach us through the 401. That's right. 401. Thousand Islands Bridge. That's that right. right. To my island. I was going to suggest that uh, to 81 route 81 2 will bring right down where you are actually. Right. That's from, that's from uh, the States. That's right. Um, anyway, um, yeah, it's by appointment. So call ahead so I can make arrangements to be there to show you my garden. I'm and going. Also, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I said I'm going. I'm oh, definitely going to come visit you. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. So people need to make an appointment and then you'll come and you you would show us around. And, and um, you know, I think it's important for people to see what we are trying to create in a, mm-hmm. in a, a successful example. Mm-hmm. Um, because when you are trying to recreate it from a book, that's great. It's experimental. But to really understand what it's going to look and feel like, it's there's nothing like visiting. That's so true. Yeah. And you do call it an enchanted forest, do you not? Mm-hmm. I do. And and so are there magical uh, beings there as well? Well, not so much magical beings, but uh, the reason I named it that was people who visit will spontaneously come up with the word magical to describe their experience in the garden. So I wanted to capture that in the name of the garden and I wanted to alliterate it so it couldn't be magical enchanted forest. It had to be, I mean, magical edible forest. It had to be enchanted edible forest. but yes, um, it, there's just an ambience in, you know, when you emulate nature, you know, the feeling you get walking in the woods. Well, that's the feeling you get in an edible forest or, or a food forest. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Danny. Thank you. I so appreciate you coming on the show and I've learned a lot and you're inspiring. So I hope I will have the opportunity to, to do this and to follow your suggestions in our own space. Well, thank, thank you. you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. So that was Danny Baker, and she is the author of The Home Scale Forest Garden, How to Plan, Plant, and Tend a Resilient Edible Landscape, and it's valued at $34.95. So grab your copy and uh, have a look at it. It's a terrific book. Thank you so much for tuning into the show today. If you missed the beginning or you want to listen to it again, or even if you want to check out some other episodes of this show, all you have to do is go to orchardpeople.com slash podcasts, and you can learn more about growing fruit trees also on orchardpeople.com where I have lots of articles and I also do live, I do online courses in fruit tree care as well. So finally, if you want to learn how to grow fruit trees and you don't have a lot of time, you might want to grab a copy of my brand new book, Grow Fruit Trees Fast. And I wrote it so that people could read it in just one hour. That was my goal. So to purchase your copy, you can visit orchardpeople.com slash growfruit, or you can go to amazon.com or your local Amazon store and just do a quick search for grow fruit trees fast by Susan Poisner. So that's all for today. Thank you so much for being a listener to this show. And I really hope you're going to join me again next month when we're going to dig into another fruit tree care topic. I look forward to seeing you then. Bye for now.
You've been listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show on Reality Radio 101. To learn more about the show and to download the podcast where I cover lots more great topics, you can visit orchardpeople.com slash podcast. This show is broadcast live on the last Tuesday of every month. And each time I have great new guests talking to me about fruit trees, food forests, and arboriculture. If you're interested in learning more about growing your own fruit trees, or just about living a more sustainable life, go to orchardpeople.com and sign up for my information-packed monthly newsletter. If you like this show, please do like our Orchard People Facebook page. You can also follow me on Twitter at at @urbanfruittrees. Thank you so much for tuning in. It's been wonderful to have you as a listener. And I hope to see you again next time. Thank you for listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show with your host, Susan Poisner, right here on Reality Radio 101.